This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Queen City Nerves News Hounds. I am Ryan Pitkin, as usual, your host. And today I have a special guest that we've been discussing you coming on for quite some time, but I think uh, with all the things in the news these days, it's going to be a great talk. I have CMS board member Jennifer De La Hara. How's it going, Jennifer? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, we've got a ton of topics to run down, <laughs> so I guess we're just going to hop right into it. Uh, just for some context, though, to sort of get people introduced, uh, you are currently serving, is it your second term? First term. First term. Mm -hmm. Okay. First elected in December of 2019. Okay. And you've been on the board. Um, a lot of people get confused about some of the staggered nature of CMS board. Uh, you ran unsuccessfully recent, recent primaries for uh, Mecklenburg County Board of Commissioners, but you did not face a re-election camp. You did not face a re-election race in general this past one because you're an at-large rep. Correct. Exactly. Right. Next year in 2023, the at-large representatives will have um, the Board of Education race. Mm -hmm. And we'll sort of talk a little bit about elections. Um, we're going to kick it off with a little discussion of this most recent news that happened this week. Um, as we're talking, it's just been about 24 hours since you all voted and announced the new interim superintendent. It will not be the... Uh, we're still in a search process for the new permanent superintendent, but Dr. Crystal Hill was named the interim superintendent. Um, tell me a little bit about your thoughts around that decision. And, and Chris, I mean, she's been with, she's been serving as sort of the, I'm forgetting the position, but chief, chief of, of staff, staff that's mm -hmm. it, in CMS under the superintendent for some time. So what's been your experience with Dr. Hill? Yes, she's been with us since April, mm -hmm. uh, came to us from Cabarrus County Schools, and has really done an amazing job. Um, as chief of staff, and we voted unanimously to approve her as our interim superintendent with full confidence that she'll continue to not only, you know, maintain the initiatives that I do think that our previous interim, Hugh Hadabaugh, was able to put in place that's given us new direction and good momentum, but also will continue to move us forward um, as we also, the board, continue the search nationwide for our permanent superintendent, whom we hope to have placed um, by this next summer. Okay. And tell me just a little bit about your thoughts. You're very, um, I guess, outspoken is the word when you have, you know, you don't beat around the bush like a lot of um, elected officials do. And, you know, CMS board has taken a lot of heat for the fact that there's been such high turnover. And not, not that I'm holding that to you because this has been happening since long before you came on the board. But there's been so much crazy turnover in the, um, in the superintendent position in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. Some of that, I mean, Hugh was only serving as interim, but he even left earlier than his contract because of, you know, taking care of a parental fig of his father or mother. Um, so not, it doesn't always fall on the same sort of blame game. But I mean, what do you see sort of at the foundation of this from what you've seen as a uh, as not only an elected official, but a parent? Yes. Well, I, I do want to say I was very disappointed mm -hmm. uh, when Mr. Hadabaugh decided to leave um, his contractual position early. 
Um, and I and I also um, understand the familial you know responsibilities that he had. I just wish he would have thought through that a little bit more before committing, mm-hmm. um, because we we certainly didn't want to experience one yet another no, shift. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so I respect his choices, and it really did put us in a bind. And we're just grateful to have you know wonderful people like Dr. Hill who can step into that role um, for right now. Um, but I do think it's important um, to add context, uh, you know, nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, the superintendent turnover um, is an issue. And so mm-hmm. CMS does not uh, work in a vacuum, nor are we unique in any particular way. I think we all would agree if if we as a community could have a strong superintendent stay in place for five plus years, that that would be beneficial for multiple reasons. And to your question about as a parent, yes, also I have two mm-hmm. CMS um, um, children in the system. And I do think that that level of stability um, is needed Um um, but it's also important for the community to understand that while we may only get the local news and it seem um, um, uh, like it's only here, it's right. just not true. It really is right. nationwide. And given some of the political uproar, um, even just with latest school board you know turnovers, uh, we've seen superintendents you know let go just mm-hmm. in the in the past month, presumably um, because of political reasons. Right. Also, and, and different Charleston was the, one of the ones that I saw yeah, that like yeah. as soon as someone was sworn in. So I think. I think it's a strange time for superintendents across the the nation, and one of the reasons why I think it's really important that we govern well, um, and and. Because I do think all eyes will be on Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools. Clearly, mm-hmm. the nation is aware that we are looking, and I think there will be a lot of strong interest. And so I think that they'll be watching our meetings to see who we are, figure out who we are as a board, and how well we come together. That doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything, but mm-hmm. that we govern well and we're not driven by our own you know, egos or trying to make a news mm-hmm. story for the right. day, but rather have put forth the best interests of our students and our staff. Mm-hmm. And what... This was one of the the interim decision from Tuesday night was one of the first decisions made by this new board. It was only sworn in a week ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of seeing such a uh, uh, four new members? I believe it was five. and one five new members, and then mm-hmm. uh, was it Thelma Byers Bailey who was sworn reelected? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's five new members coming on, getting sworn in. This is was sort of one of your first big decisions made together, discussed, voted on. What was that process like? What are your thoughts now looking forward with this new board? Um, I mean, I'm very proud that we, our very first vote was Mm -hmm. a unanimous vote, as well as our board leadership, you know, Mm -hmm. for both chair and vice chair was a unanimous unanimous Mm -hmm. vote. So I, I uh, have great hope about how we're going to come together. Obviously, we're still uh, figuring each other out. Um, there's a lot of different personalities and and background and and worldview or the lens that we bring, you know, Mm -hmm. to the table. And, you know, thus far, I mean, it's early on, we're just a weekend, but it does look like Mm -hmm. we're off to a good start. And Mm -hmm. I think coalescing around choosing Dr. Hill was a first great step, you know, in that direction. And I hope that it sets the tone for the next um, upcoming months because we Mm -hmm. have a lot of work to do, four or five major, major initiatives on our plate from the Mm -hmm. get-go. So I'm very excited about the new energy and the new ideas that some of our board members are are bringing to Mm -hmm. the table. And I look forward to coupling that with some of the experience and knowledge that the four, you know, remaining board members have, and hopefully we can all share in that responsibility together. Right. And you haven't seen some, what tends to happen sometimes, especially when you have such a big number of um, 
folks coming in new on a board or whatever, any governing board, um, is sort of like, you know, they ran on a platform, you know, inherently their platform is going to be that this person who's already there is not doing a good job, so let me replace them unless they're running for an empty seat. Um, and then they'll come on and say, okay, well, I want to blow up everything. That's not sort of the vibe that you've gotten in terms of new oncoming members who are just, I don't know, not trustworthy of the things that have come before them. Uh, well, not yet, mm-hmm. but it is early. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what plays out, you mm-hmm. know, over over the next few months. Um, I do think you make a, a clear distinction there because um, I, there was a narrative in the community that the community had uh, voted for change. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, and certainly not collective change. There was no, in my opinion, uh, strong move, you know, for the board to move further left or or to move Mm. further right or one way or the other. There was certainly a lot of noise around, would this be um, some sort of um, um, call against COVID-related decisions. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of noise about that. Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to lash out against those of us who chose what I call the more conservative side, you know, protecting mm-hmm. our physical health of our students and our staff and choosing to stay in virtual at the height of the pandemic? And in fact, the two board members who were the uh, who were the strongest supporters of returning to in-person classes during that time, both of them were voted out. Right. <laughs> so it was quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't a collective change. And of course, two of the seats, uh, we had incumbents who did not run. So there was no change there. I think you could make an argument that in some areas there, there was a call for change. Some of it was just the political dynamics. And we can certainly talk more about that if you're interested mm-hmm. um, in my views on that. But um, but nevertheless, we do have five new board mm-hmm. members. And so I think it'll be sort of now that we're all elected, figuring out, you know, how each person can represent his or her district to the best of their abilities while keeping, of course, the whole of the district in mind. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned there's some major initiatives facing you all as a board moving forward now that it's time to focus on. So let's just I, I know of a couple that, I, that I've done reporting on or. We've already mentioned the superintendent search, so let's just stick with that for a second before we move on. What What's the next step in that process like, and what do you think is the most important things? I'll, I'll, full disclosure, uh, and I've had to do this twice now in the last three podcasts, my girlfriend was working as a, on a contractor level to help with community engagement. I should clear up, because I had to say it with Priya Sarkar as well, that when I say that, she's in charge of community engagement, so she is not involved in any way in actually making the selection nor is she invested in having these guests onto my podcast. They just happen to match up with news stories sometimes. But um, so I was a little bit familiar with some of that community engagement effort. Um, you guys have had a chance. It's been presented uh, a week or so ago. Um, what are you finding in some of that some of that feedback that you think, and then not even from the feedback, but just stuff that you already knew from your experience as a board member that you think should be prioritized in this coming search? Yes, thank you for that question. And I do want to um, clarify for your your, your listeners mm-hmm. also, uh, you know, we did that by design, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that we knew there was an election coming up. We didn't want to get, it was 
uh, of course, we wanted to move the superintendent search forward as much as possible, but we also didn't want to get ahead of what we anticipated would be at least some turnover mm-hmm. uh, with the new election. So we timed that with the community engagement piece. Um, right, because it was presented as soon as the new board exactly. was sworn in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So all that work had been going on in the fall, and then the brand new board that was that was sworn in on December 13th, we received that report uh, from Civility Localized that uh, just summarized that community engagement. Now, with the new board in place, we will take that information, and we, we in fact, also uh, on the 20th, we um, approved our ad hoc committee for our search committee mm-hmm. to help lead that process. So we're jumping right in to taking that information and doing that superintendent search, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Um <clears throat> so I, there were some good um, takeaways, and I mm-hmm. haven't read the full report yet. That's mm-hmm. coming to me later this month. But just even in the highlights that were presented at our last Board of Education um, meeting, you know, we got to hear from various members of, of our community about the qualities that they'd like to see in a superintendent. Nothing that was shocking, mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense that, you know, people uh, want, you know, someone with education background who, mm-hmm. who understands how children learn and the diversity around that. Because uh, kids come to us with different needs and different strengths and mm-hmm. different, you know, weaknesses, and, and it's our job to provide a multiple, multiple uh, learning opportunities for them so that all of our children can thrive. And right. so we heard a lot about that. We heard also, you know, this whole question. I, I did think this was interesting, and mm-hmm. I mentioned, made comments to it um, on the 13th as well around should the superintendent be more of a CEO or should the superintendent be an educator? And um, and some people really believe that it should be a CEO, possibly no one, someone without an education background. And to that, I would say, I think it actually sort of needs to be both, which is what mm-hmm. makes the superintendency a really difficult position, a challenging mm-hmm. position. And right. very few people can do it well, in my opinion, although we're going to attract the best yes. one, I can guarantee you. The point being that, of course, you need someone with an education background, someone who understands what's going on in the classroom, you know, with a pedagogical uh, understanding about how to move the needle forward, um, who's going to go into the schools and relate to our teachers and our educators because, you know, that is, that's our bread and butter. I mean, we're there to serve the students, but we cannot forget that the teachers and our staff are part of that ecosystem. And they also need to, to be understood and be in a collab- collaborative spirit with the top sort of central office, you mm-hmm. know, staff and, and all the way up to the superintendent position. What we need also, in addition to, you know, an education leader, is someone who is an executive, who can execute on the plan. And one of the great things that I commend our Board of Education for doing over the past two years is undergoing a complete overhaul um, of our governance model, and we call it Student Outcomes Focused Governance. And through this two-year process, we have revamped our strategic goals and really set up a framework the idea being that we're monitoring our student outcomes on a regular cadence. Um, not only is that good for the district and it's setting the district so we're all sort of rowing in the same direction, if you will, but also any superintendent who's watching what we're doing, he or she knows this is the environment you're coming into, and you have clear expectations. I think mm-hmm. that will help buffer us from some of these political outbursts that you're seeing across the country mm-hmm. where they're just coming in and sort of 
you know, firing superintendents out of the blue. It's like, you know, we're not going to just, you know, let you go because of a personality dispute or maybe you, you don't align with this mm-hmm. or that. These are the expectations. These are our outcomes we're looking for. If you want to join us in this effort, the board is leading mm-hmm. in this way, setting forth a clear framework and expectations. And that I think is going to help any superintendent feel confident to come into our system and know exactly what he or she you know needs to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do need an executive that can execute on that strategic plan that the Board of Education has put together. And we do that by going out and doing our own community engagement and lifting up what we call in our terminology, the values and the vision, the vision and the values of the community. Mm. Um, Where sometimes I think the community, um, we need to do a better job of helping to explain to the greater community what our role is versus the superintendent. Because what I heard a little bit from the feedback is that some community members want the superintendent to be highly visible. They want him or her to have the it factor. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes concerns me a little bit because I I sometimes think they want a politician. I was about to say, it reminds (laughs) me of Charlotte Mayer, who doesn't have a ton of power, but is the figurehead. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we can get in trouble a little mm-hmm. bit. Because, because that's not the superintendent. That's not right. his or her role. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not visible. Mm-hmm. They absolutely need to be visible, approachable, engaged in the community. But you can, in a community of our size, 1.1 million people, you could spend 24-7 of your time doing that. So I also as a board member, want to sort of protect that superintendent, whoever he or she may be, to say, no, that's my role. I'm going to go out. I'm going to take the heat. I'll go to special interest groups. I'll listen. And and that doesn't mean that I do exactly what they say. And sometimes this because of the very nature that they're special interest groups, you've got one group way on one side of an right. issue and the other group on the exact opposite. So it's my job to take all of that feedback and information in and make the best decisions possible that I can lifting up those common mm-hmm. values and vision of the community and not necessarily sort of throw the superintendent out to have to right. and demand that they meet with all of these groups because it's just impossible. Right. So, yes, there's visibility, and we need to be clear that the, this person needs to have time to actually sit in the office and get some work done. Right, absolutely. And I think that's a good point. I think that's something I wanted to touch on during this conversation, um, not just the superintendent and what do they do as compared to the board, but you and I have spoken in the past about misunderstandings around what role the county plays in the board's day-to-day operations, which is not a lot other than, you know, every year it seems uh, there seems to be a battle over funding and, you know, uh, it's turned into some, sometimes really politically ugly in terms of, what's the budget going to look like and who's going to vote for it and approve and this and that. Um, what has that been like for you to experience in these last two, these three, three years now? Um, just in terms of what you maybe did, did know about this sort of relationship with the County. It, it appears to have, you know, not gotten better in the last three years in from the outside looking in (laughs) yeah um you know we did have a joint meeting on monday i Mm -hmm. was unable to attend but i did watch it um i i i I do think the relationship has gotten better okay um but there's still still some concerns certainly um you know for your listeners just to level set um you know cms is not attached any 
uh, education um, uh, school system in North Carolina does not have its own taxing authority. Mm. And the way that it is set up is, in general, uh, our budget, 60% of it is provided by the state government, about 10% from the federal government, and about 30% from, from the county. And so that puts us in an interesting situation where mm-hmm. we're always sort of asking waiting, asking yeah. and waiting for someone to fund specific um, initiatives to move the needle forward. Um, and, you know, with the county, uh, unfortunately, a year and a half ago, they went through a process where they tried to um, demand, put specific demands on Charlotte-Mecklenburg Board of Education in order to get the funding. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go through a process uh, to, you know, sort of explain the, the statutes the way that they're written to, um, so that they understood that they actually just could not do that. Mm-hmm. There was, I know there's been a lot of, well, that was illegal. Yeah, it was, but it was more, there's no government structure set up to support what they were trying to do. And so that was an unfortunate situation. But, it, you know, now if you listen to Chairman Dunlap, I mean, he's able to articulate that back, you speak that back to his board when sometimes they sort of go down a path like that again to talk in these terms of, well, we can't direct their money. And that's just the truth. And so mm-hmm. when I say that, I certainly don't say that from a position of, well, you can't tell us what to do it's just not the way it works. Mm-hmm. And so we do, we are a duly elected body and we have a responsibility to the voters, to our constituents, um, and to the community, but we can't be, um, um, asked to do exactly what they want to do and, and follow the goals that they want to set because by default that means we're abdicating our authority mm-hmm. and that's just there's nothing in the government structure set up to do that way mm-hmm. so you know the county does have a lot of pressures I will say um, because the state often in many areas um, does not fund I mean we look at our roads right. we think about the lack of <laughs> Medicaid expansion I mean there are multiple things that the state could do and they they don't do that affect us here locally, and that would be for the city of Charlotte or, you know, Mecklenburg County and the different services that they provide. Likewise, in education, because the state ultimately has failed its responsibility um, to provide what's commonly known as a sound basic education, which is the exact Mm -hmm. wording coming from the Leandro case, case, the Mm -hmm. 28-year-old lawsuit against the state legislature, Um, it does then, you know, put more pressure on the counties to provide that funding. So, you know, I'm, if you listen to me from the dais when I speak, I often say multiple things can be true at the same time. Right. And so I do want to recognize that I agree that the state has failed its responsibility. I speak often about that. I have, you know, marched in Raleigh on that. I've held press conferences about that. And I go around town talking about the Leandro case as well as other funding that they're not doing um, to highlight that point. At the same time, what's really important for the public to know is that Mecklenburg County has also been decreasing its funding mm-hmm. over the years. And oftentimes they get by with sort of saying, but we gave you more. Well, more is relative. Of to course, the population growth. as the population grows, inflation, mm-hmm. more is sometimes them just matching the state's you know, pay increase for our teachers. So mm-hmm. by default, it can be more. But what I'm looking at is a percentage of their uh, budgeted 
revenues that's in, in you know in their budget each mm-hmm. year. And over the past twenty years, it has gone down from forty five percent to forty two percent. And that is the, the the sort of problem that I have with it is that they want to dig into you know the nuts and bolts of our budget and question. And I'm over here saying, well, can we start by you know, giving us the funding, allocating the funding mm-hmm. and, and, and the taxpayers' dollars, because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not about them giving us the money. They are allocating, they're executing their, their duly elected responsibilities to allocate the taxpayers' funding really with the goal in mind that this is what our students deserve. Mm-hmm. And that really should be the only lens. It's not about if you like our board chair, or you like Jennifer, or you like Lenora, or you like the superintendent. It's not about personalities. It really is about students, and then also about our 19,000 staff, which Mm -hmm. we can't forget because we are the third largest employer in Mecklenburg County. So that is a big piece of it. I would like to see them go back, you know, at least as a starting point, because what that does is it puts us in, in a ranking of 81st out of 100 mm-hmm. in uh, relative funding because of, of counties our bit, in North Carolina. Of counties in North mm-hmm. Carolina. So while they may be, say, you know, second or third in the sheer number, the actual number that they're giving, when you look at our ability to fund against our general wealth, our relative wealth, then we drop drastically. And there are other counties, for example, like Orange County, that gives over $1,100 more per student. So I'd like for us to ask the question, you know, why don't our students deserve as much as the way Orange County, for whatever reason, when they look at their students, they say, hey, they deserve this much. Um, And it does. It's not just throwing money at the district. I know you hear a lot of rhetoric around that. Mm -hmm. We're tired of throwing money. No one's throwing money Mm -hmm. at Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, not the state of North Carolina and not Mecklenburg County. And yes, you opened by saying I've been very outspoken. I have because this is a narrative that honestly uh, the county sort of gotten away with the Mm -hmm. simple, well, we, we give more and very few journalists will come back and be like, well, let's dig into that a little bit. And I see it get printed mm. a lot in the what paper. Does mean? What right. does that mean? And I, I do think we have a responsibility um, to dig in deeper. Mm-hmm. Now, this could be an entirely different podcast uh, or a separate episode. Um, but the Leandro case, like you just mentioned, has been going on for 28 years. And I, I've sat with it so long. It's one of those things where we, we uh, one of our uh, media partners, Education NC, I just sort of let them take the reporting on certain decisions because throughout those 28 years, different decisions have been made and then they've been appealed mm-hmm. and this and that happens and it's just so hard to keep up with. I mean, I personally went through CMS and graduated in the time that, you know, mm-hmm. since that original lawsuit was filed. So even like this most, um, we'll just touch on it quickly because like I said, we could do an entire episode on it. But like even in this latest um, decision, which seemed like pretty positive in terms of gaining more funding from a judge ruling, but it didn't seem over. <laughs> like, how does this end? And does it, you know, has nothing, I'm just confused as to like, has it just nothing been able to improve in those 28 years because we're still waiting on this lawsuit? Or I don't know, what is the elevator pitch of like, if you were to explain Leandro to someone in a short time. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's what's complicated yes, about it. Nothing right. in education is, yeah. is easy. Um, so we, um, how do you do it in elevator speech? Um, 
I mean, well, we'll look, start first, with let's the, start with this. North yeah. Carolina, Char- Mecklenburg, and mm-hmm. I do think this is important. Mecklenburg, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools in 2019 was actually named one of the school districts that was um, excelling, beating the odds was the, the quote that's used, in mitigating the factors of poverty mm-hmm. in our community. And so despite this chronic underfunding from the state and despite – um, what's been moving over the past 20 years as well, as I just mm-hmm. articulated uh, more underfunding from the county, we're still uh, beating the odds. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I think that should give us hope that, yes, uh, you know, under really dire circumstances sometimes, we've got qualified, wonderful people who know what they're doing. And yes, if we were able to have more resources, i.e. human resources, mm-hmm. Teachers sitting in small group instruction, but besides students teaching them to read, that actually will move the needle. Mm-hmm. So I do want to draw sort of a, a, a connector between what resources, when we talk about money, in my mind translates to human resources, right. which is what we most to desperately make need. Make it clear, CMS is not spiraling by any means. No, no, it's mm-hmm. not. We're holding on strong. Yeah. And sometimes then people will say, well, you're doing great, so why should right. we invest in you more? And it's like, no, because we're really not. I mean, the disparities, we all as a community, we should be enraged and outraged about the disparities that exist. And we're also not unlike any other community our size or with our demographics. And in fact, we do better than most mm-hmm. uh, uh, communities that are that are that share the same similarity. So, um, so it's a it's a it's a touchy one uh, mm-hmm. because we have been able to really overcome in many right. ways. Um, but but no doubt, you know, when we look at over the past ten years in particular, I know it's a twenty eight year old lawsuit, but in the past ten years. Uh, we have the state of North Carolina, I should say, has taken away master's level pay. They've taken away what's known as longevity pay for our teachers, extra incentives to stay. Um, New teachers coming on board no longer receive health benefits. So it used to be that teachers would make that choice. They knew they would never really be wealthy mm-hmm, becoming a teacher, right. but you work your you know, 25, 30 years, you retire, you could count on you know really great benefits mm-hmm. in retirement, uh, health benefits. We no longer offer that. So our teacher pipeline has really dried up. So now... I have one of my best friends went to Georgia to teach. To, just yes. For that. Yes. She left CMS. Yes. Like and people like to say, well, te- you know, money isn't the only thing that matters. Well, no, but it, it's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we want to respect our teachers. And with that, I think, comes respectable pay mm-hmm. that they deserve. And they are severely underpaid. And, you know, we have this battle in Raleigh, you know, every two years, sometimes every year over whether, you know, how much to increase our teacher base pay. And I, I think, you know, Typically, the Democrats start out with somewhere around 10%, and the Republican leadership will come in at two, three, and we've you know maybe gotten around three or four. Mm-hmm. But I think we need a huge increase um, because we are not valuing our teachers. At the same time, we're, we're putting more and more pressure on them to provide all of the social well-being sort of needs to, to you know, be you know, be an interpreter in the classroom. I mean, many of our Mm -hmm. teachers, I mean, we'd like to have more interpreters, but they're literally using Google Translate on their phone to try to communicate with, you know, we have 204 languages spoken in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. And I say that not to describe it as a burden, but yet, I mean, it is a joy to be able to receive uh, all students from all over the world. But it does 
put certain pressures on our system and we just do not have the resources um, that we need with qualified interpreters, with enough social workers, with enough school psychologists. I mean, I speak to some of our school psychologists, the school-based mental health, I mean, they're waitlist from day one. Mm -hmm. We just are unable to meet these wraparound services, which is another thing that, you know, the county could help us with if mm -hmm. they, as they focus also um, on the services that they provide our families and our students, that will help improve right. student outcomes. And there are certain steps, like if the state would expand Medicaid, for example, things like that could also dra dr dramatically help move the needle forward with student outcomes as we're able to stabilize health care, stabilize housing, which mm -hmm. we know is a huge crisis. I mean, we have 4,206 housing insecure students. So when people want to talk to me about what are you going to do to, you know, improve student outcomes, I mean, there are many things we're doing. And I will guarantee you if we stabilize the 4,206 families who are currently not stable mm -hmm. in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, that is going to help move the needle. So I've always sort of approached it from this intergovernmental, all-hands-on-deck approach. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, it, it's easier to sort of just accuse the school system of failing right. and sort of, instead of all of us coming together and stop the blame game, but how do we work together? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And in what new ways have you seen? Obviously, you've been serving throughout the entire pandemic, um, and I, you know, I've seen it anecdotally from uh, the little man that I mentor and just entering high school this year, and it's first like real, just back in school and, and going uh, going full time, and just like his first year in a, since twenty, I guess nineteen, and it's, I mean. I don't really know what my, I don't really have a question other than like what can, what sort of issues have you been seeing in that? Cause it's almost inarguable that like people, kids fell behind at this point, not be, not um, even in the argument of should we or shouldn't we have these measures for he public health safety when it was happening. But regardless of what happened at that point, kids are going to fall behind because of what happened during the pandemic. Um, is there any new measures or is that one of the initiatives that you guys are t picking up in 2023? What, what can be done or, or what are the discussions like around really confronting that? Um, great question. So, you know, we were fortunate mm -hmm. that the federal government passed COVID relief funds mm -hmm. and we've received, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, which seems like a lot and it is, but it goes quickly, mm -hmm. including, I mean, we passed a hundred million dollars of it. We spent just on teacher retention bonuses, again, trying to make up for the deficit mm -hmm. and, you know, it, that was really not coming from the state um, um, in order to, to remedy that situation. Um, those funds run out in 2024, and we've been speaking loudly about this funding cliff that we're on because the funds allowed us to invest in certain initiatives and also in people, which is our biggest resource, our human resources. And so we're able to provide different interventionist-type positions, people that specialize, um, that can, you know, we can break down into smaller groups, meet the, the needs, the specific needs of our students based off of what the data is telling us mm -hmm. on where they are and how they, yes, indeed have fallen behind. And so some of those, many of those positions have been funded with that money. And when it goes away, I do fear, um, and, you know, some of our key staff talk about how it keeps us up at night, you know, how that's going to, what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, because we, we have a lot of learning loss. And beyond just the academic learning loss, 
you know, last year was very turbulent with um, behavioral outburst. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had, uh, I can't even remember how many guns were brought to school, but aside from just the number of guns, just the, the huge fights like brawls and just right. in particular at our high schools. And I, as a board member, am privy to see some of this on videotape because mm -hmm. then uh, there's student discipline hearings that are appealed and they come before the board. A lot of folks don't understand that the Board of Education also has what's known a quasi-judiciary function. Mm -hmm. And so we sit as a panel and we listen to student um, appeals and also personnel appeals in case we have uh, they're appealing to us to overturn the decision of the superintendent. And so seeing all of this play out in our schools, it was really difficult coming back. And uh, again, you know, uh, the pressure that our teachers and our principals and our disciplinary staff were under to try to mitigate all of that and help students come back in and learn how to learn again. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like we've finally gotten our stride. We've seen those numbers drop mm -hmm. and good learning is taking place. And now we're coming up on this funding cliff. Right. Um, so I really hope that we can unify behind a message and getting back to that sort of um, tenuous relationship with the county when we want to be as open and honest and transparent as possible because we, we really do need their help and their mm -hmm. help might include you know us us you know collectively working together to to raise awareness in Raleigh mm -hmm. and I certainly welcome that I mean I thanked them last um, Tuesday at the 13th at our board meeting for for they signed a Leandro a resolution going back to the Leandro case we've been a plaintiff in that case for 17 years mm -hmm. Charlotte Mecklenburg schools fighting that one particular piece and so that was welcomed having the commissioners join us in our fight mm -hmm. and I just hope that we um, can you can continue collaborative efforts particularly since the majority of us are Democrats as well I think right. that sends a strong message that this mm -hmm. is something that investing in our students, uh, because we're investing in our collective future, um, it will send a, a, a strong message um, to, to Raleigh and, and to everyone. And I just hope we can get everyone to get on board with that. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of negativity toward our public school systems. And sometimes I, I worry that that political will mm -hmm. will be there. I think it's incumbent upon us to make the case that we are raising our future workforce. We're raising literally our future. Right. And... Uh, Education to me has just been a foundational uh, public institution that's really been revered mm -hmm. um, right. in and our there's nation. There's a whole movement on the right wing side, uh, especially starting there, with Christopher Rufo and all those people who started the critical race theory thing, and now they're seeing momentum and they're turning it into any number of different things to break down trust within that institution. Absolutely, and that mm. is so key because mm. that is exactly the, the, the bottom line. Mm. It's just like breaking down trust in our in our election process. There is a or movement. Media. <laughs> or media. Yeah. There's there's a movement to to dismantle the trust uh, uh, as as our education system as a fundamental uh, you know value mm -hmm. in our community. And it's not just been the past few years, and certainly not just since you know Trump and that mm -hmm. sort of era. It's really been a long game. And in fact, I would encourage your your listeners to read a book um, entitled Democracy in Chains uh, by um, Sandra McLean, I think is her name. She's a Duke professor. But she really breaks it down over the decades of this sort of long game to dismantle the public education system. It's not only about education, but 
there's a big piece of it that is. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot of criticism, not only, you know, for the right, but also for people on, quote unquote, the left, Mm -hmm. you know, including when you think about, you know, Bill Clinton coming out in the 90s and declaring that the era of big government was over. Mm -hmm. When you also have Democrats that are buying into that sort of language, what it does is it, it instills, in my opinion, and I think what this professor was trying to get at as well, this sense of you can't trust government, you know, big government would be bad, mm-hmm. um, and, and they're incapable of, you know, uh, holding up these institutions, also including education, and um, and that's dangerous to me because right. I, I really want us to invest in education. Of course, we make mistakes, right. um, certainly, but um, I think we should all be really, really concerned when people are coming out um, and saying things like, we do not co-parent with the government, or when President Trump spoke at the State of Union speech about how we, uh, the failing government schools, right. that word government is there for a reason, and it's to, in my opinion, instill distrust, and mm-hmm. so we should be very very careful because it it helps lead into um, sort of January 6th type behavior. Absolutely. And that's interesting. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I want to discuss and that sort of neoliberalism and not your word, but that's what I view mm-hmm. that the whole Bill Clinton and that sort of uh, those vibes, <laughs> those, those uh, very purposeful, you know, uh, speeches and comments that he was giving all the way moving forward with that. But it's been sort of, we've seen blurred lines with that even lately recently, and you wrote an op-ed for us discussing uh, a, a Mecklenburg County Commissioner, Pat Cotham, who you believe was sort of playing both sides of the fence and in terms of parties. Um, and you've talked a lot about even other local folks doing that, and we've seen we've seen local leaders sort of getting in bed with, other, with further right-wing um, be they uh, activists or advocates or whomever to sort of with, you know, similar end goals in place. And that's something that you've spoken out a lot about even in recent years. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, for all of the sort of chatter around, you know, this group or that group, certainly there are these, you know, Moms for Liberty groups Mm -hmm. and things that like to show up at our board meetings. They actually are not my biggest concern for our community or even for our nation. Um, My biggest concern is when I see, um, you know, Democrats or people I like to call people with D's beside their names, um, sort of um, embracing what I think are are more conservative um, values and pushing forward uh, an agenda that's really coming from the right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that stems from, you know, when we think about Steve Bannon, even right after, shortly after Trump was elected, he was very clear and has been over the years that that the way they were going to overtake um, the Democratic Party or how they their ideas would would succeed would be coming through the school boards. Mm-hmm. He said that for many many years, and a lot of people I think interpret that clearly as well. That would be Democratic seats turning to Republican, but the Republicans or the the, the right. I don't even like to use R and D right. words anymore. It's like I'll just say the right and the left because it's all sort of murky in my opinion at this mm-hmm. point. Um, they are much smarter at playing the long game. And, mm-hmm. and clearly in urban areas like Charlotte, Mecklenburg, um, people with D's beside their names are going to win. Right. That's who's going to win elections. Um, and so I think they their purpose is served better if they are able to find uh, Democrats or people with D's beside their names to sort of push forward those conservative messages. And oftentimes that has to do with education. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that play out when, uh, you know, you referenced uh, Commissioner Cotham. I, I 
made comments about her uh, board comments from, I think, September 7th, the date it was, where she was, you know, sort of accusing, or not sort of, she was accusing um, our Mecklenburg delegation, which 16 of 17 of them are Democrats, of sort of cutting a deal in Raleigh. And I really felt like she was throwing the Democratic delegation under the bus, as well as she was actively undermining uh, Laura Myers campaign for county commissioner so I, I have a real problem when folks you know folks say well wait shouldn't we be big tent mm-hmm. shouldn't we have centrist all the way to progressive and mm-hmm. and I am all for that and I'm also not anti-republican I mm-hmm. want to be clear I, I think you know we should engage with Republicans and, mm-hmm. and 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 that's good for democracy my concern is is when people are in my opinion clearly outside of mm-hmm. that tent and are actually pushing forward that message and then we've seen other Democrats like Joel Ford uh, former senator, uh, former head, actually, of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. who, uh, and Doss Helms, a veteran education reporter, recently was able to dig in on and see that he's one of the named members on the board of this Success for CMS group, which was the group that brought in what's known as the dark money, mm-hmm. $20,000 of which into Mecklenburg area, along working with Republicans, including Republican strategist um, Larry Shaheen, mm-hmm. um, to take out you know certain um, school board members or to promote others. And so this yeah, is I remember this when Joel started making that turn, and it, he was at least not to defend uh, his actions with that group that you just mentioned, but I remember when he ran for mayor, and then he, I think it was mayor, mm-hmm, then he lost, he and he uh, almost immediately was like showing, his, taking the mask off, and, and social media, I don't know, uh, dialogues and stuff would just went right really quickly. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so this is a concern of mine. Mm-hmm. It's my bigger concern mm-hmm. right. is that, that that these groups will sort of push education policy forward mm-hmm. um, in a way that, in my view, is more conservative and and hurts the masses, which is what, as a Democrat or mm-hmm. as a person on the left or a liberal, yeah. however you want to call me, that I'm really trying to fight for and not necessarily a subset of our population and or an elitist right. group. And I think a big part of that also, I don't think this is exactly what you were just saying, but I think this is also happening at the same time. And this is this is more to do with the national, um, the way that people view it after Trump got into office and things. But when you take what a Republican means and push it that far right, mm-hmm. then the whole spectrum moves kind of right. So then you see Democrats who are really more centrist right still with a D by their name, as you'd say. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, a power struggle here locally, you know, right. and, and sometimes oh, yeah, and that, gonna, mm-hmm. that that is what works and mm-hmm. that is what wins. And right. it's probably why I lost because I am firmly on the left. I do consider myself more of a progressive and in a town that's not progressive mm-hmm. at all for all of the, you know, uh, fanfare about how we're controlled mostly by our electeds, by Democrats, I would still say we are very, very centrist and and, mm. and right of center Agreed. collectively. Right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's really all I had. I think we're about running up to, on our time. But uh, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is important to mention? Um, just you know, as far as our board of education, just you know, for your for your listeners, be on the lookout. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of community engagement, not just around obviously the, the continued for the superintendent search, mm-hmm. but we have a bond that's going to mm-hmm. go on the ballot. This is going to be really important. Um, again, with all the sort of anti 
public school rhetoric mm-hmm. that's around, I'm a little concerned because I want to put forth a positive message that is centered around, you know, providing quality facilities that our teachers are proud to work in and that are conducive to great learning that our 142,000 students mm-hmm. deserve. Right. And I think if we can coalesce in our community around some positive messaging that's that's factual not pollyanning right (laughs) the situation but that's that's true then we can you know come together we can pass this bond we can continue um to move the needle um Mm -hmm. for our community i would suggest people go to i don't know that there's like don't go trespassing but like go check out the new west charlotte facilities go check out shamrock gardens something like that because you'll see what these bonds actually go to before you vote because they're both amazing (laughs) absolutely couldn't agree more thank you all right well thanks for coming on it was really great talking with you and uh we'll see all you guys next episode queencitypodcastnetwork.com (laughs) 